0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola.
1: Hi there, and welcome to The Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to The Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is Rochelle Lamb. I first met Rochelle when I attended one of her workshops in nonviolent communication. Since then, we've discovered that we both really enjoy exploring language, relating, and conflict through the lens of cultural anthropology, spirituality, and more. I caught up with Rochelle over Skype. She was at home in Victoria, B.C. So, Rochelle, what was going on in your life when you first discovered Marshall Rosenberg's work around nonviolent communication, which is also called compassionate communication?
0: Well, I was married. I had two children, and I believe at the time they would have been about um, eight years old and 12 years old. Hmm. I was uh, Doing my best to be a good parent, to be a, a good wife, uh, if there are such terms that could be applied, and um, and just struggling with the the mayhem of living in a nuclear family in a mad society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm.
1: Were you yeah. aware that it was a mad society, or was this more like a free-floating kind of vague divine <laughs> discontent of like what's going on?
0: Or were you kind of kinda- clear? I was pretty clear. I've I've had that awareness since I was about uh 7 years old. Okay, yeah. well
1: let's define the terms then because it's obviously yeah. very clear to you. So what do you yeah. mean by, by mad society?
0: Well, what I mean is that um I'm not sure or I actually I do feel pretty sure that the way in which we've constructed our lives and our world is not really attuned with what I would call the natural world. Um and just the fact that we uh, the, have our lights on until midnight or 1 a.m. at this time of year, which is we're, we're now in January, that we're so out of sync with the natural way of things. And I think that the repercussion of being out of sync with the natural way of things is that we become oblivious to the fact that we're out of sync. Mm. And in that out of syncness, we experience Uh, you know I guess feelings of being cut off somehow of not belonging I think the theme of not belonging is a very big theme in people's lives Mm -hmm. and I think the reason that that feeling comes up is because we're not attuned with our what I would call a natural human rhythm Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents you know bless them Uh, would order we had national geographics coming to our home regularly and i was very inquisitive i still remain inquisitive and i would go through the magazines and find myself really drawn to photographs of people living in different cultures especially ones that were living tribally Mm. and i was struck by the their faces there there was just this incredible what i would call depth in the eyes and a a smile that really lit up and all of that that in spite of the fact that their lives seem to be quite difficult they seem to be um, pretty much mm, concentrated on you know how to survive in the world but I'm saying difficult I don't know that they would agree that it was difficult but we here would agree that it is because we've become so uh, accustomed to certain um, comforts and we have very high expectations and those expectations I think get passed on in our relationships and mm-hmm. that's how we end up speaking to each other in ways that I think are really alienating for ourselves and others uh, for instance is just the the you you probably heard this saying and it's a it's a first nations saying and probably all indigenous cultures might say this is that what you call natural resources we call relatives and I think that says a lot. So our way of our treatment of natural resources and our treatment of human resources is pretty much the same. And we've become quite used to the, the idea that we should orient our lives to what works for us personally as human beings and uh, it's sold to us on a regular basis on the bookshelves. You can have everything you want. You can do everything you want. If you dream it, you can do it. Um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a fairly lengthy answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I, yeah. uh,
1: okay, so yeah, it really gets at the marrow of the issue. And I think why yeah. you and I really connect on this stuff is because when you're talking about alienation, uh, you know, on that sort of um, cultural scale, I I see it. I know what you're talking about when you say at the personal level, we don't feel like we belong in our own life. And Mm -hmm. so it comes out in how we communicate with the people that are supposed to be our most intimate, uh, you know, tribe mates, you know, these are the people upon whom we should rely. And it's, it's hard to feel trust in that when you are completely alienated on, you know, physical, emotional, mental and spiritual levels. So, Let's go. Okay, so bring me back to here you. in the nuclear world, you yeah. come across nonviolent communication, you come across Marshall Rosenberg's work. And what what does it look like the day that you say to your family, I'm doing this? And what what are you telling them and yourself about why you're doing it?
0: Well, I read Rosenberg's book in two or three days, I couldn't put it down. Because very early on, Uh, Chapter one, it was clear to me that although I wouldn't at the time have called myself a violent communicator, I've never been known that way, um, is that I recognized that there are ways that they're quite insidious, ways that we have been uh, enculturated to speak that are in fact Quite alienating. And so we use the word violent because they push away what we're actually deeply longing for. And it's in the speech. And since we all learn to speak before we learn to think and discern, um, there's some inherent problems with that. So we're at the mercy uh, as children, Um, you know, we're at the mercy of the caregivers. What's their skill le- level when they're teaching us? And when you're living in a culture that's really based on growth, progress and acquisition, mm-hmm. the language reflects it mm-hmm. as well. So our language is as uh, you know sharply angled and concrete and um, as the materials that you know that surround us often. you know we don't live in a uh, in most of our homes are, Constructed in a particular way, and uh, they're, you know, they're hard, and so the language takes on the same qualities. I know that may may sound like a far fetched idea, but I would ask people to entertain the possibility of that—that mm-hmm. that our, our speech is um, is impoverished, mm-hmm. in fact. So I, you know, nonviolent communication is one of the tools that I use, and it is such an incredible tool. The other tool that I use is, uh, is poetry, mm-hmm. I would say. I don't even like to call it a tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That connects with it. But the other, I would say the other approach, um, David White, the poet, uh, has said that uh, poetry is the language against which we have no defenses. Mm-hmm. And so I'm teaching nonviolent communication. I'm also bringing in a lot of poetry. I'm also bringing in that cultural piece and bringing in mythology as well and storytelling. I think we're starving for that. And I think in our relationships, people will often say, we'll say a couple, uh, where uh, it's typically in couples, it's the the woman who's yearning for a deeper uh, level of connection with her man. And the way she goes about doing it, she might say something like, uh, you know, hey, how come you're always at the office? How, How come I never see you anymore? Now, can you hear in that? There's a, a, a kind of tonal quality mm-hmm. that doesn't draw the man to her.
1: Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. It's, it's kind of blamey.
0: It, it is kind of blamey for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> if she were to turn to him and instead say something like, I really miss you, you know, I've noticed that I've really been missing you lately. And uh, that has a much different quality where it, it really kind of catches your attention. It now, really
1: does. I, it yeah. I, it hurts my heart. My heart is wincing right now because I don't hear myself say that enough. I, I, I don't think my husband and I have a typical relationship in that same way, but I hear the accusing tonal quality <laughs> when <laughs> I'm trying to actually create connection and it comes across as 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 blamey and I don't hear myself be vulnerable in that way enough I would say where it's like here's what's here's here's the need underneath that is I miss you and I want connection and actually before we go on that reminds me of something because the first time that uh I met you my husband and I were taking your um Speak to me like you love me workshop. And mm-hmm. we thought we were pretty uh, hot shit because we were doing this as like a preemptive move because we just didn't really argue. But we thought that, you know, we had decided we were going to get married and we should probably kind of have a... um a framework or a structure that was shared. You know, it's you know we weren't totally young, so we we thought, well, let's start fresh in our communication. We're gonna create a shared language and system for communication when we do have conflict. And of course, what happened was we had a massive blow up the night before. All <laughs> oh, perfect! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, very in this like sort of rare event, we showed up in sort of this icy atmosphere around us, <laughs> going to it, and this was the first time that I'd ever heard the poetry of John O'Donohue. And I actually wanna read it because I have his book now right beside me. So this is like years ago. Mm. Uh, You read For Love in a Time of Conflict. Mm. And it goes like this. When the gentleness between you hardens and you fall out of your belonging with each other, may the depths you have reached hold you still. When no true word can be said or heard And you mirror each other in the script of hurt. When even the silence has become raw and torn, may you hear again an echo of your first music. When the weave of affection starts to unravel, and anger begins to sear the ground between you. Before this weather of grief invites the black seed of bitterness to find root, may your souls come to kiss. Now is the time, now is the time for one of you to be gracious, to allow a kindness beyond thought and hurt, to reach out with sure hands to take the chalice of your love and carry it carefully through this echoless waste until this winter pilgrimage leads you toward the gateway to spring. Oh, see, it takes me to that moment of being in your workshop and you read yeah. it and all my defenses dissolved because uh it I I have no defense against that. You know, it's just it was so uh connecting and uh you know as as the Quakers would say, that friend speaks my mind. Yes. You know, it was just beautiful. And so now that I'm thinking about your workshop, I'm gonna kind of yeah, switch into that because, okay, so you you embark upon this as career work. You're doing these amazing workshops. And one of the things that you're really good at is role play. Like mm-hmm. I hate workshops because I hate role play. <laughs> I hate that kind of thing. I, I will not participate. And what you do is you just somebody will ask a question, and you sort of know what they're getting at, and you just slip into character as the person that they're arguing with, it's a bit disarming. Like, So I might say something like, well, you know, my mom never listens to me when she calls me. She'll talk to an hour and never ask me a question. And then you'll just kind of like, switch into the role of a mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you start, I was like, I don't, I'm not going to do this with you. And you wouldn't (laughs) stop. You just like kept kind of egging me on until finally I was like, well, God, I can't even stand. Like, it was. you're really good at that. So that's not something you can learn in a book or even, you know, really training with Marshall Rosenberg. Like, why do you think you're so good at slipping into character and drawing out uh, these kinds of behaviors that, you know, like I don't really want to share in a workshop with strangers. I don't want them to see <laughs> the lesser part of me that that's violent. How, do, how Why yeah. are you good at that? How are you good at that? Um,
0: you know, uh, it seems to be an intuitive uh, thing that I have inside of me. Uh, I, and, and I don't know how how it is that I have that skill. I recognize that I do have it. it there's, you know. Plenty of people have commented on it. I I think that just in the moment when somebody asks me the question, I recognize that the deeper learning will come from us absolutely fully immersing ourselves in that moment. And I just find it comes from somewhere. It's, it just arises in me, and suddenly I'll be saying, all right, daughter, could you tell me what it is exactly that that I say to you? And The next thing you know, we're in it, and 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 it's not uncommon, as you probably witnessed at the time, where someone will say, "How did you know that about them? How (laughs) how could you know them so well?" And I would say the answer to that question is that I uh, I was very shy as a child. Uh, Like I people will probably find this surprising because I I appear to be quite gregarious, but I'm actually quite a private person and. I pretty much, um, I was very quiet until I got married, and, and that I, I can't explain, but when I got married at 25 years old, everything changed, you know, mm. and uh, I think I felt much more secure in myself to be with, uh, with somebody, but so during that first, you know, 25 years of my life, I found myself being uh, a very astute observer. And uh, I would pull back and just watch. And I do find that people are quite predictable, in fact. There are, you know, ways of speaking that will elicit pretty, uh, you know, consistent responses from other people. You know, for instance, I've never found that if I say, wow, you're so selfish that the other person says, oh, wow, what can I do to change that? You know, Uh, they get defensive. So I recognize the the patterns of defensiveness that arise and um and i i also do i do like acting um you know i like performance i like storytelling so all of those things i think have just been conducive to my ability to step into uh role play so you've talked
1: about storytelling twice now what's important about storytelling to you
0: i think What's important about it is that it describes landscape, you know, when you're listening to an amazing story being told, uh, it's usually uh, very animated, and the person is describing the terrain, you know, these there are these, just when the person looked around, they looked into the horizon, and all they could see were rolling green hills for miles, and the clouds in one area where the sunlight was spilling down onto this small field where there was a little house with the smoke curling up from the chimney. And they could see a pasture where there were a few cows grazing. And the person who had been traveling for so long knew in that moment that they absolutely had to head in that direction. So what I've just said is kind of illustrative of that: is to the ability to be able to describe a landscape. I think it does us an enormous; uh, it, it, it's it's of great benefit to us to approach it in that way, because otherwise we're only ever really speaking about our own uh, starvation, and um, and I want my needs to be met, you know, and I'm feeling angry, and I have a need for this, and it really starts to sound. Um, like a demand. And now we're turning people into human resources. Mm. I'm I'm trying to invite people or get them to see what would be happening if they could speak about what's going on in a different way, which does mean to describe where you're standing, you know, mm. um, yeah. and that I, I'm hoping that, that, I mean, that just came to me right now, that, you know...
1: Oh, well, no, I get it. It's beautiful. And I feel like I'm standing on the hillside looking down at the pasture with the house and the chimney. <laughs> yeah. like, yes, yeah. I accept your invitation. I want to go there. It's, it's so clear that poetry influences, maybe informs your work. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember seeing a post come through Facebook from the poetess and being like, wow, that was really beautiful. Great share, Rochelle. And then... <laughs> took me a while to realize that's you that's me oh that's so great so I poetry is yeah I don't want to say it's a tool it's more like medicine it's it's uh what is it for you and how did you get the courage to know you know something happens at 25 you're more vocal but I think poetry that's next level to share that with the world can Mm -hmm. you just take me into that a little bit what the poetry as the poetess what that means for you
0: Mm. Well, I have found poetry to be soul food Mm -hmm. and soul medicine, and uh, David White has a poem called Loaves and Fishes, uh, which is one I often recite at the beginning of a workshop, and uh, what he says is, this is not the age of information, this is not the age of information, Forget the news and the radio and the blurred screen. This is a time of loaves and fishes. People are hungry, and one good word is bread for a thousand. Now, when we speak, we don't usually consider our words as a form of nutrition, but I would say that indeed they are. And so our speech has the capacity to either lay the table for a grand feast or to... Uh, create famine. And we know what that's like to be on the receiving end as well as the giving end of those two ways of speaking. So there's an enormous generosity that can come through when we uh, when we start to explore poetry. Because, because poetry is very, um, has a certain eye for detail that gets missed uh, in what I would say in technology, in our speed. I mean, you can't tweet it, you mm-hmm. know, and you wouldn't want to, mm-hmm. because it's much, we deserve more than that. It's, it's much deeper, it's much broader, and uh, it misses so many of the nuances. And, and yet we often fall for it. We go, wow, it's so great that I can do this, you know, in just a few words, I can get a message out to the world. But, uh, you know, Marshall McLuhan had said the uh, medium is the message and so poetry carries enormous capacity to reflect and reveal the human condition and speak to it um, in a way that's not trying to fix it um, or medicate it, but just recognize it. Life is hard, you know, life is really hard. There, It's full of heartbreak. And poetry speaks to it with just enormous grace and beauty and eloquence, and um, and that that's why I think it's important. I I mm-hmm. think it's really important, and so I just find myself gravitating to that more and more. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know yeah. I don't call myself strictly a nonviolent communication uh, trainer anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, it's one of the, the lenses, you know, I'm looking, I'm using a lens of cultural anthropology, of mythology, of uh, deep ecology as well, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think that uh, what's happening for us and between human beings is, is a reflection of how we treat uh, the planet, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So Rochelle, you've walked down into that valley to that little house with the smoke curling out of the chimney, and Mm -hmm. it's been a hard journey and it's it's the gloaming time it's just about evening and you open the door and go in and there by the fire drinking a little dram are three people who are deft and refined with the word and you get to spend the night with them who are you going to drink by the
0: fire with Mm, What a beautiful question. Well, I think, uh, I'm going to say John O'Donohue.
1: Mm.
0: Um, May he rest in peace. Yes, because I, I never met the man. Um, but I love the way he speaks about beauty Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the soul and, uh, Uh, He he has a beautiful way with with language and uh, it also has got a great deal of reference to to soil, to earth, Mm -hmm. to that kind of loamy magic. Um, I'm also going to say my mother because my mother uh, died when I was 21 years old
1: Mm.
0: and she really was instrumental uh, in sort of having me walk this path and uh it's been a long time since I've seen her Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and and I remember her her beautiful voice she loved uh you know people like William Blake uh she she was a gypsy in her heart and (laughs) uh, a spiritual one at that so she would be one of those people and I I find myself gravitating towards the dead here (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) because uh because there's a good chance that amongst the living, I'll be able to uh, to sit down with these people, or at least I imagine in my best moments that I I could. I I think um, I think the per- third person might be my great grandfather, mm. who I only ever heard stories of, and um, was uh, a Welshman and also a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a coal miner for most of his life from the age of 13 to about 73. And in spite of that, he wrote things. He was something of a, what I would say, a, a social commentator, mm. as well as a poet and a lover of the land. And when I read some of his writing, I recognized that, well, I surely am his great-granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd really love to, to meet him. Oh, yeah.
1: and then I want to be the... um servant girl who keeps filling your glasses <laughs> that night that would be great <laughs> bring on the mead that's right okay last question it's a traditional one uh, for the numinous podcast rochelle what do you consider
0: perfect happiness mm. oh boy <laughs> well you know, I could probably describe a scene in heaven, but uh, since I'm not a strong believer in in that kind of life, I I would say that um, hmm, you know what comes up in my mind is that little that little home with the the smoke curling out of the chimney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, that sense of belonging that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Living in a time where. Uh, you know, my son lives in, uh, in Ottawa and my daughter is here in Victoria and my son recently got married and is, you know, will probably have children at some point. And so the, the distance between him and, and me and his, you know, his possible family. Uh, so for me, it really does have a strong sense of family bound to it. A perfect, happy day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to throw a funeral in there too, which may sound odd because I find that when we allow, um, death to be closer to us, instead of pushing it away, mm-hmm. it has a way of making us recognize how short our time is here, how enormously precious it is. And for me, that is, that is happiness is to just see the way that it is and to, uh, say yes to it, to say yes to the heartbreak and to the whole thing. And you would mentioned, Carmen, that uh, my post on Poetess, and I'm wondering if I could share it.
1: Yes, do, do, um, do.
0: Because what I'd written, and it just seemed to really touch a, a chord inside of many people's hearts, um, was this. May you fall madly in love this year, in love with someone who inhinges, unhinges, unhinges, your tired trajectory, in love with a spouse of several years who might be aching for lightning, in love with demanding children and crazy relatives, in love with the particular pedigree of genius insanity that has perhaps claimed you in spite of your reluctance, and certainly in love with an animal, a cloud, a redwood, the wild, these at least once a day. May you fall in love with this fragile jewel of a world with hard work, real learning, just causes, petitioning and prayers. May you fall in love with wonder itself, with the grand mystery, with all that feeds you in order that you may live and with the responsibility that that confers. May you fall in love with heartbreak and seeing how it's stitched into everything May you fall in love with the natural order of things and with tears, tenderness, and humility. May this be a magnificent year for you. May you fall deeply, madly, hopelessly, inextinguishably in love.
1: Oh, Michelle. I'm in love with the jewel of you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that on the show. I, I I love that you're here, and I love talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing today.
0: Well, the pleasure is mine equally. Yeah, it's been wonderful speaking with you, Carmen.
1: Poetry, man, it gets me every time. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I really thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I could listen to Rochelle and her vivid imagery for hours. I want to thank Rochelle for coming on the show. And thank you so much for being here. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your review on iTunes. And I want to thank uh, a listener in Finland with a very long number ending in 383, who uh, said, I love it. Enough said. Thank you so much. I love Finland. And if you enjoyed this show, please share it far and wide because you never know who needs to hear it right now. If you'd like to find out more about Rochelle, you can just go to my show notes on my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and just click the link for the podcast in the upper right corner. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download, and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, I just want to say hello to my listeners in England, Ireland, and Wales, and I really look forward to connecting with you again. Take care.